This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody. I am here with Martin, a.k.a. Wickerwaka. How's it going, man? That's going great. It's weird to see you say that and me be on this the end of it, not just watching a video on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. I get that way sometimes, too. And I was just talking on camera with Chris from Displaced Gamers. I usually watch his videos at the end of the night so I can try to absorb as much of it as I can. Uh, and at one point when I was listening to him answer one of my questions in person, I kind of got one of those weird out-of-body experiences. Like, am I home in bed sleeping and dreaming this is this like one of those weird like you know they told me i did too much acid as a kid and this is what was going to happen as an adult but no no it was actually him and for real in person so yeah yeah it's weird um so um obviously i'm a fan of your work uh the first time i ever really had a direct conversation with you where we worked together, uh, our friend Risha was basically like, you should bother Wickerwaka about this. I'm like, oh, another here goes another developer that's probably going to hate my guts for this. Uh, but no, you were the opposite. You uh, you worked to, to help me with an HDMI issue, and it was a pleasure working with you. So not only am I a fan of your work, thank you very much for all your help. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Like, I, I really, um, I don't know, like the, the, the Discord servers over the last, like, year have really kind of brought me a lot of joy just from being able to help out a lot of people um mm. and meet people like yourself like you know i i um like I, I started watching your like weekly roundups and that was kind of my first experience with with you and your your site um so then when you reached out to, to ask me to help you <laughs> fix some problems like oh my god that's amazing <laughs> um so yeah that was like a weird like hdmi uh timing issue with that uh like 4k upscaler you were you were looking yeah, at. that 4K Gamer Pro thing. And uh, I'm still not really sure what the deal was, but I was talking to their marketing rep. And I don't know if they didn't want me to talk to their techs or if their techs weren't very good at English, which is common. I got no problem with that. But they, they, it was you explaining to me, explaining to a marketing person, explaining to a tech person, going the opposite direction as well. So I'm shocked we got anything working, but we did. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was, if I recall, it was like just, it had very, it, it wasn't like incorrect. It's just like, it had a very strict adherence to the video signal it expected, uh, which is fine for devices to do. It's just, we're used to a lot of televisions and stuff being kind of, oh, just throw me something kind of right and I will put it on the screen for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that device, you know, I get such mixed feelings about because most people don't need it. But if you are a big sharpness enthusiast, it's probably cool. But um, I, I loved with the time sleuth being able to use that for to t uh, test native 4K, but also 4K monitors like 4K PC monitors, not TVs. Their scalers are the worst I've ever seen ever. So if you have a beautiful LG OLED, you probably don't need that thing. But if you just bought an awesome but cheap 4K gaming monitor, that might actually be a huge help. So I, especially for Mr. users that wouldn't be able to go higher than 
for a monitor like that, probably 1440p. So it's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, pe people are surprised by that because, you know, we we're often just helping people with video settings and what, you know, what we think would look best. And, you know, a lot of my experience is with like TVs and, mm. you know, a nice new 4K TV, just it'll do a really nice job of upscaling what you send at it, as long as you're not looking for like nearest neighbor upscaling. But you might spend a bunch of money on a really nice gaming monitor and be kind of disappointed that it does a terrible job of um, upscaling images because they're kind of designed for GPUs to just throw them a super big, high resolution uh, image at it at, at whatever its native display res is, which is just something yeah. we can't do on uh, on Mister. Yeah, and it's only getting worse. Like I just got a friend of mine gave me this beautiful LG monitor, 4K, 120 um, or 144 hertz, and this is the first time I've ever seen it will not accept 480p from the DisplayPort input. 480p from the HDMI input gives you a warning saying, do not run it at this resolution. And just like every other monitor, it looks like garbage under 4K. Now, at 4K and above, it's amazing. And now yeah. I'm actually able to test, you know, 120 hertz stuff. But so it's, it's only going the opposite direction. So. You know, we, we got to, it's a good thing that a lot more people are stepping up and making very good scalers at every price range, you know, GBS control all the way up to RetroTank 5X and the upcoming 4K and Morph. So it should be cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what these 4K scalers end up looking like because um, I don't know what I've seen from, from Mike on his, his Twitter feed with what the, the RetroTank 4K is going to do. It just looks, it looks really nice. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, the first time I ever really got that sense was, the 4k gamer pro because you know i, I love my oled tv it's a uh, eight year six years old now and I, I still think it looks beautiful but when i played you know my, my go-to the zelda and sonic that i've been seeing in every resolution except 4k for 10 plus years now just adding that to it i just went oh shit like i didn't know like i didn't realize that you would actually be able to notice the difference but you, you definitely can so the 4k scalers are definitely going to be cool and you know with mr direct video output just go direct to the hdmi ends of these so you still get pure digital signal but then just let those go to 4k and add the scanline filters and stuff too so you can still use it with mr yeah um speaking of which how did you get involved with the mr project i i i've try to kind of think back to when you know it, it was probably 2019 maybe i guess like i i bought one like I, I remember reading some article or something and someone at work maybe recommended this to me and I, i'd known friends who'd run like uh i think like mists before to uh, like do like amiga um setups on those so i was aware of like fpga just kind of in like the periphery of 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 stuff um and then i saw this Mr. Thing, I don't know where I bought it from. I don't know which seller I got it from. Um, and I got it and I set up the sandwich, like put it all together and um, hooked it up to my TV. And it was just kind of the usual setup where you have, you know, a circuit board and a power supply dangling off the corner of your desk and a keyboard on the floor because there's no more room for it somewhere. Uh, and I did what I almost always do when I get emulators. Like I collected a bunch of games and put it on there and got it all set up and then um, read it and was like, oh, well, this is cool. But like the setup I have is just not ideal. And it got kind of um, just put in a box and I forgot about it for, for six months or a year. Um, and then I started, I like, I was getting into 3D printing at the time too. And I was like, maybe I could 
like push myself and build like a case to actually store this thing in. And if it was in a case, maybe I'd be more inclined to actually use it day to day and, and move it places and set it up in a nice permanent location. Um, so I ended up designing like a, a like a wedge case kind of in the style of an Atari ST. Because uh, at the time I was like, I'm going to use this thing exclusively for Atari ST, and I've, I've run Atari ST probably three times since, since then. <laughs> um, but uh, so I like designed this wedge case, like spent months on it, and uh, like got it all in there and set it up on my desk. And I finally had this like unit that could just be, it was just like a power plug, like a standard standard like kettle lead. So I had a built-in power supply, HDMI cable, USB ports on the side, and a keyboard there for any kind of keyboard interaction you need to do. Uh, and it just felt like, okay, this is actually something I would use like day to day or bring on trips with me. And I did end up bringing it on a, like a family vacation shortly after that. We all played through uh, Super Mario World and a bunch of other games uh, with my kids. And it was just like, okay, this is actually something like I will use and enjoy. Um, and then I just started getting slowly involved in like the development side of things. Like it was you know, well, these are things like, how does this actually work? I had no idea how FPGA development actually functioned. I could understand the like, the kind of like Linux uh, and C side of uh, how Mr. is built, but like FPGA was just a complete kind of like black box to me. So I started learning uh, and trying to pick up as much detail as I could about that. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned the whole like mess of wires and the keyboard hanging out. One of the things that I've just been begging the core Mr. team and the people who make these things to do is to stop stacking and go out. And, you know, a lot, so I mean this with love and respect, but very often a lot of the devs that are, or the people involved are like, yeah, you stick to making your stupid videos. Where the devs <laughs> that I've done this for 15 years now. I used to design computers and all that. So it's like, all right, all right, you know, just don't say I didn't warn you. And then the Mr. Multisystem comes out. And it's perfect from the, you know, the only thing coming out of the front is your USB ports. There's nothing come out of the sides and everything's coming out of the back. So it no longer feels like that mess of wires with the keyboard hanging down. You know, grab one of those cheap little USB ones, obviously not for Atari ST, but just for setup and stuff like that, not for computing. Um, and you're, you're good to go. And it's kind of, it's really cool to finally see that because I'm obviously a fan of different styles for different things, but like having the retro castle one sitting on my desk, that tiny little thing, it's perfect. But, you know, to your point, it doesn't look like a console. So I think it when you get to the, when you get deep into development, you tend to forget that there are people that aren't at your level of development that are still want to use this. So if it looks like a dev tool, it's intimidating, even though it's not actually. So it's kind of, it's funny that you brought that up. Like, yeah, I don't have, you know, you, the developers, like, yeah, I don't have room for this. Another mess of wires and everything. So that's kind of funny. I wonder if you'd, uh, if you'd have gone right into it, if it had like a, if it looked like your favorite old console or something like that. I think if it, like definitely in a more consoleized form, like I think, and I, I think like the Mr. Multisystem and its success is kind of an example of this. It's just like the, you know, you've put one together. A lot of people put one together, and it it it. We know it's not really that intimidating, but like the the, the like seeing a stack of three circuit boards is just yeah. kind of very intimidating to almost anyone. And you know the ergonomics of it, like you have ports on every single side. Like it's I have my you know, my aluminum case down here on the, the floor right now, but, you know, it's just a mess of wires in all directions. But then um, it's it doesn't, once it's set up and running and in a in a cabinet somewhere, you know, it probably doesn't bother 99% of people. But I think something like the multi-system, just seeing it in here is a proper 
packaged product that you could use, I think really increases the appeal. Yeah. So on the on the dev side of things, though, you said you haven't really done FPGA development before this. Um, do you have some kind of technical background? So you didn't just jump right into to use uh, to the coding for this, right? Yeah, I, I've been like a software developer for for twenty years, so I'm not um, I'm not like completely lost. Um, but like FPGA development is a very different beast than um, software development, um, and I I kind of like ease myself into it too because the, the things i did initially with mr i'm trying to think what the first yeah that was gonna be my next question too okay. what was the, do you remember the first thing that you did up for it the very first thing i did was um uh sultan was working on the uh shadow mask stuff and he had made a build with um like a set of preset shadow masks um and you know, I, I was just wondering, like, hey, it, would it be possible to, like, read these from a file the same way we read filters and other things from a file? Uh, I didn't really realize the Pandora's box I was opening by by doing that, but uh, live and learn. And, uh, and you know, that was kind of like a, a, a solvable problem like me. Someone had done the, like, most of the FVGA work and, like, reading from a file and sending it to the FVGA is largely kind of just like a t traditional software development task. Um, so... I was able to like very easily understand that side of it, and then I could look at the existing FPGA code and work out how I could just get that data in instead of hard coding it. Um, so, like that was my first introduction was like a very kind of like largely software development, a little bit of hardware development. Um, I think the next thing I did after that, like I've done some like bug fixes and stuff in the in the main system, but kind of the next big task I did after that was working on the adaptive scan lines. Mm. Um, and again, that was kind like that was all mainly done in um, FPGA code, but it wasn't like replicating a piece of hardware. Like so, it was in a lot of ways I could think of it as a software problem because uh, I wasn't trying to emulate some existing piece of hardware or even do stuff in like a hardware-esque way. It was kind of like this is all in the the scaler, which is um, you know not trying to replicate anything. It's just trying to perform some job or solve some some problem. Could you talk a little bit about how that works too, the adaptive scan lines, and also from just the programming point of view, how you're able to to kind of get into that and and make that happen? Uh, again, it was like someone like I think it was yeah I think it was Sultan again gave me like the this is how you would do it like this is how you would do adaptive scan lines and it's basically um, you know we use these like polyphase filters to do the upscaling um, and kind of in those filters, it's like, hey, here's how the scan lines work. And if you if you actually look at the filter files, you'll see, like, they're just lines of numbers. Um, and you'll kind of see that, like, you'll see the actual scan line pattern in there because the numbers get bigger and smaller um, as you go down the uh, down the thing. And that's kind of very roughly how the scan lines are, are applied. Um, and the way the adaptive scan lines work is, you know, you want brighter areas of the screen to have, like, thicker areas of color, basically. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take a side on whether scan lines means the black area or the colored area in here. So we're just, <laughs> just gonna avoid that whole uh, that whole thing. Um, so you know, to get the kind of like adaptive scan line look, you like interpolate between two filters. You kind of have a filter with big thick color and a filter with a, a thin line of color, um, and then based on the actual brightness of the pixel, you pick between those two um, and kind of like interpolate between them. So you end up with some scan line width that's between those two extremes. Um, and that was, you know, getting that in, getting that working, 
learning how to like you know write VHDL, uh, which is what the um, what the scaler is written in, um, was probably like two weeks of my time, I think. Um, but then it was a ton of time just trying to like optimize it and um, get it working so it has a little impact on existing cores. And that's kind of a problem that we you have to deal with when you're working in like the Mr. Framework is that the stuff you put in there is used by every single core. So if you end up taking away some memory or using logic elements, that's memory and logic elements that a core can't use to do what it needs to do. Um, yeah, I always try really hard to politely, as politely as I can, remind people of that because, you know, people get very excited about features and rightfully so. Somebody sits at home and they, you know, they code something and they, they release that code for free. And then, you know, well, why, you know, why is Sorg not allowing this in? Well, it's a lot more complicated than that. It's a domino effect. You don't just add this. You have to kind of see the entire picture. So I always try to be uh, to be very open about that because there were a, a whole bunch of things over the years that were like, well, why wouldn't they just do that? Well, it's a lot harder than just doing that because then it affects everything as that's part of the system. Yeah, and like one of the main like one of the main parts of the FPGA that gets used by this is the DSP units that do a bunch of multiplication uh, very quickly for you, um, and they're not used all that much by by most cores, um, because it's not really hardware that existed on like 8-bit and 16-bit systems in a large, large quantity. Um, but it was being used a lot by the PlayStation core that was being in development at that time. So it was like, we don't really, we didn't know how much PlayStation was going to need. And we didn't want to get in a situation where we couldn't support PlayStation because of some additional complexity that had been added to, um, to, the, to, the, uh, to the, the framework. Um, and I think PlayStation is basically at a hundred percent usage on the DSP resources that are in the FPGA. And, and I think Saturn core is probably uh, pretty similar. So like Robert was still trying to work out whether he could actually fit PlayStation while I'm, you know, wasting resources on, on this feature. So I spent a lot of time just trying to get it as optimal as possible, as far as resource usage is concerned, uh, to have as little impact on the core. So I think it used, I think it was three DSP units was kind of the net change, um, at the end of the day, which there's 112 uh, on the FPGA, so um, I think it's a reasonable compromise. But you know, it's it's always still just kind of a, a game of like what's what what can we afford and what are we willing to sacrifice for those things. Mm, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, and you were about to talk about what you were starting to move on after the adaptive scan lines, but I, d I definitely wanted to take a moment to just talk about that. So <laughs> sorry for interrupting. Uh, so after the I'm trying to think what things I've done. Um, like I've done some video scaling changes. Um, I've um, like I like the recent thing that went in was kind of the the V scale modes, um, which allow it to pick a video mode based on the the cores video mode. Um, again, going back to what we we're talking earlier on, like the scalers on these 4K TVs are really good, um, and in some cases you don't want to. Um, you know, the, the Mr. Scaler is, is very good, but it is not all, it, it can't scale up to 4k, first of all. Um, so what you want to do in a lot of cases is just try to give the TV as high a resolution image as you can, and then let it take it the rest of the way. Um, and this was kind of being done manually with like eight track 17s, like custom mode lines where like per core, there's like a, a video mode you can set per core, but it was like, Hey, we can do most of this kind of programmatically dynamically just by looking at what the core is doing and then picking a video mode 
based on that. Um, so that was kind of a biggish change that took a while. And it, 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 um, you know, that that's actually another thing that's probably worth talking a little bit about for people that, uh, that don't know, because mode lines are something that was very, very confusing at first, because that was the first time people who weren't devs in the scene had ever heard that term, most of most of them. Uh, and then now, why wouldn't you need it anymore? So would you want to talk just a little bit about what they are and why you don't need it? Yeah, so like the mode lines were, you know, like video modes, mode lines, like it's, um, you know, the mode lines are kind of like the, the lower level definition of what a video mode is. So you're, you're kind of like setting not just what the X, Y and refresh rate is, um, but you're also kind of like, hey, what is the size of vertical blank and setting all the video parameters. Like I thought it was, mode lines were something I thought I'd never have to deal with again after dealing with like X windows 15 years ago. Um, and then they come right back up when I'm looking at Mr. Stuff again. Um, so, but well, like what you kind of to get what some people feel is like the ideal, um, like image, you really want to have like integer scaling. So like you want to like upscale, at least on the vertical axis, like kind of upscale at some integer number. And then, then you get kind of nice smooth scan lines. You're not getting kind of like pixel shimmering and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, that doesn't always translate to a, like a full screen image on a TV. Um, mm. So you have modes like, you know, uh, like the crop modes that kind of like reduce the resolution. So you get a nice scale up to like 1080p. Um, but if you want to, you know, then you, you're trying to get to like 4K resolutions, which Mr. Can't support just kind of uh, based on the, the hardware it's using. Um, so you, you can't scale up to 4K resolutions, but you can get close to like, you know, uh, 1440p. Um, and you can do integer scaling in, so you're outputting a 1440p video mode and then your TV scales that up, but you're still going to get borders on the image and stuff like that. What you can do is generate a video mode that is like an exact integer scale of what the, the core is outputting. So if your core is outputting, um, you know, 224 lines, you generate a mode that's like five or six times that amount of lines. And then you send that to the TV. So you're sending the TV as much data as you can that will fill the frame, and then the TV takes that and then d runs its nice 4K expensive upscaler on it to upscale it to 4K, whatever the TV's resolution is. The problem with that is you have to maintain, like you have to have a, a mode line for every single console core. Um, and then when you get into things like PlayStation, where it might have varying amounts of like output and, and different sizes, it gets even more complicated. And it just results in a big INI that people have to manage and have separate sections for um uh for each each core and each arcade game and it just it really kind of grows inside and becomes a big a big issue and there's people who you know there are like mode line sets you can download and run but in almost all cases this is something that is just a simple mathematical calculation where it's just like this is the core's output resolution the highest resolution video mode we can generate is this this formula is for generating mode lines from basic parameters like what your width and height and refresh rate is why don't we just do that? Um, so that's what we do. Like this is the vscale mode four and five that um, that will generate video modes for you. And the video mode you set in Mister is really just this is the maximum resolution I want you to hit. But find a mode smaller than that that's an integer scale of the uh, uh, of the core's output resolution. And vscale is in the ini file now, right? It is. And you um, said mode four or five is the one that's going to get you uh, integer scaling. And what would be the differences between them? Underscan and overscan? I'm gonna, I, <laughs> I feel like I need a whiteboard Sorry. for this one. Um, so the the difference between them is um, 
is it comes down to aspect ratio. Um, so VCL mode four, um, it will output a video signal that matches the aspect ratio of the core. Um, so if, so if it's like a 256 pixel core, it's going to be too narrow. It's going to be one to one, not four by three. Yeah, it'll, it'll output one to one and expect the TV to just treat that as, as square pixels. Like it'll basically output, like it'll output with no borders, just the raw image and hope the TV does just non, like does uniform scaling up to fill the, fill the screen, which some TVs do. Um, and some TVs do don't, and some TVs do it in certain situations. Like my LG C1, um, it will do it fine for any aspect ratio that's wider than that's that's four three or wider. Like it will scale it up to fill the fill the vertical resolution and do everything you want to do. Anything anything more narrow than four by three, it will just stretch it to four by three. Um, I have a nice like high end like HP monitor here that's um, uh, that I, I use for work stuff. Uh, and it will just take any re any resolution you give it, and it will scale it up beautifully, one one to one, um, and does a really good job. So that was a bad monitor to test this feature on because it, <laughs> it just handled every signal like amazingly. Um, so what VSCOBoard Mode Five does, and I wish these things had names, not just numbers, because it gets very confusing. We can talk about just INIs in general. Um, what Five does is it will. Um, it will maintain the aspect ratio of the resolution you give it. So if you tell it you, you're outputting, um, you know, like a 16 by nine image, like if your mode is 1080p, basically 16 by nine, um, the video signal it will send to the monitor will always be 16 by nine. And it will just kind of reduce the vertical height and reduce the, the width to like to maintain that 16 by nine aspect ratio. So it's more compatible with a wider range of displays, uh, especially with CRTs, like you really don't want to be sending a CRT like a bunch of weird aspect ratios. Like you really just want to be sending it like four four by three almost all the time. So it'll basically add borders on the left and right of the image to 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 maintain the aspect ratio. The place you run into problems with that is is cores that have wide aspect ratios. If you're trying to do like 1440p, that's like a four by three resolution, and then you try to run GameCube on it, like it can't fit that three by two aspect ratio into a uh, into a four by three aspect ratio image without adding mm. borders on the top and bottom, which um, then you're not getting your vertical scaling. Okay, that's pretty cool. Uh, out of curiosity, have you seen um, Greg's LCD CRT kits, the little nine inch tablet screen things? Yes. Uh, the first time, this was another thing that I didn't realize I would be able to see a difference, especially on the nine inch screen. But you know, who can mister up to it using my normal uh, integer scale settings? It looked great, but then when I ran the custom line to make it do an exact, I think it was seven by eight or eight by seven, whatever it was. So it's an exact integer scale of both sides to fill that screen. There was actually a difference, like just at normal viewing distance. Well, I mean, it's a nine inch screen, so it's, you're not keeping it much farther <laughs> than the end of your arm, but still at a you know, normal viewing distance, I was just went, Oh shit. I didn't like, I did not expect to see the difference for that. So if you're, uh, if you're in 1536 P mode, uh, I guess set V scale to four, and then uh, and then just everything will be eight by seven integer scaled into it. Hopefully, 
Like it, it's, <laughs> but like the problem with these these settings, and like I feel like I'm kind of just guilty. Actually, of... hold on. Before I get eaten up in the comments, anything that's a 256 wide pixel resolution, not 320. So sorry, had to. <laughs> so yeah. SNES, Turbo Graphics, NES, Master System. A couple of random modes of others. But yeah, sorry, not not I, every resolution. I, I love how precise you are. I feel like if you didn't add qualifications to almost every statement you make, like your your videos would be about fifteen minutes long, uh, because you're 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 constantly. And I understand why you do it because people yeah. will jump on you uh, for these things. But I, I just love when you you go into like a you know, it's this mode. But if you have personal preferences, that's fine too. Blah blah blah. It's, it's like I'm, you're always so cautious. I, I I enjoy listening to you talk about these kind of things. Thank you. Yeah, seventy five percent of it is just so that beginners feel like we're not running while they're walking. You know, like no, come with us. We're all in this together. And twenty five percent of it is just because I'm, I'm sick and tired of that one douchebag that's like, actually, <laughs> it's only for two fifty six. But yeah, fuck off. So yeah. yeah. Um, uh, sorry. Continue. <laughs> what were we talking about? I don't remember now. Uh, the going into the 1536p panel and how the aspect ratio was super sharp, uh, or the four by seven scaling for that. Uh, and then you started to talk about the next thing. And yeah. To... It, it's like, you know, I, I think this is a, I think this is a cool option to have. Um, but I also think it, it's like, you know, people feel like they have to find the perfect video setting. And when you start getting into stuff like this, where it's like, Hey, it, and often it's going to depend on what the display does with the data you send it. Like it's not, it's out of Mr.'s control kind of after that point. Um, it can just create a lot of kind of like confusion and is not necessarily good answers for like, this is what you should do. Um, oh, like, you're a hundred percent right. And yeah. not only is everybody's setup different, the exact panel that they're using, how far away they are, how, how high up they are and changing your angle, how good your eyes are, what console that you're emulating, all of those things make a difference, and it's so easy to just spend three, four hours digging it in, and you get like a three percent difference. Yeah. So it's you know that's why I try to concentrate on the things that are are wow moments where it's like, oh shit, that was worth my time for once, not just banging my head against the wall to see how many little differences I could make. So for most people, set it and forget it until you really have the time to figure if it's even important to you to go to your panel for your setup. Nope. Yeah, and that that's often our advice to people on the Discord is like, you know, like just play some games and if you because it's super easy to be like, oh, these scan lines look uneven. And it's like, yes, those scan lines look uneven in Mario Brothers on this particular screen with this super white background. And if you're looking for uneven scan lines, you'll find them here, there, and everywhere. Um but for 99% of people who just should really just get in there and play a game, like don't worry about these things. Come back and look at it in a week or so when you're kind of like you're, you know, you, you feel like you've had a fun time and you want to just kind of like get that extra 10% out of your system. Uh, and when you're like guiding people through who like, you know, don't have much experience with, uh, you know, like, like Linux or like SSHing into a system and you're kind of like recommending these video settings that could potentially put them in a situation where they can't see anything on the screen. And it's just like, you know, you, sometimes you kind of just want to tell someone like, just, just go away for three months and come back and then we'll start talking about what the right the right settings are and again what the right settings are is just it's it's personal preference like some people just want perfect pixels some people want scan lines with all the fixins and it's just like you gotta um you gotta find what what's most um what's most fun for you like you know we often joke that like the most popular game in like the settings workshop channel is like like 240p test suite 
uh, <laughs> which oh yeah if i go to my if i go to my screenshots folder on my pc uh we're like ob we're like capturing screenshots from obs it's just pages and pages of uh, of the the main startup screen of 1040p test suite because just like going in there cycling through scanline options differing them in an image diff tool just like like for weeks on end yeah no i completely understand the other thing too is um you know editing ini files popping your micro sd card out rebooting all that you know or, or logging in it, it's a pain for it's a pain for beginners and it's annoying for experts too, because even though you and I could do that stuff with our eyes closed, it's just, it's, you know, I'm very much looking forward to a, a, a chewy, I guess, not quite a gooey, but like, you know, a more expanded menu that you could just not ever have to touch the I and I file unless you really need to. So, you know, global settings and per core settings uh, should be easily separated. You know, it, it just, it's something that I hope, somebody on the team would look into, you know, with all of the things we already discussed in mind, right? Is it going to take away from something else? Are we going to lose scan lines because we add that feature in? As long as it doesn't take away, I think there's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that people are just not messing with because they don't want to deal with it. And even things like, you know, I, I think the last time I tried to add, or I tried to connect my SS, uh, SSID with the interface I think I had it hooked up to my TV and it was like, I'm looking at characters this big that I got to walk up and go all the way up to the TV. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it, it was just easier to do it. And if that was in a more graphical interface based thing, I think a lot more people would kind of dive in and, and feel more comfortable playing with the settings. Yeah. Like, like one of my takeaways from the, you know, uh, like my life in gaming did that great Mr. Video uh, a few mm. months ago. Um, and like you know, ideally a user is not editing an INI file like until they're kind of at the power user stage. Like it's I I like I think you always want those things to be able to uh, to to be there so like power users can go in and do those things. But it shouldn't be part of your basic uh, basic setup. Uh, and there's been some work done over the last um, the last few months to kind of improve that situation. Like there's automatic video mode detection. And stuff like that too now. So like that that first user experience, like in most cases they're gonna get like a 1080p image if they have a 1080p monitor hooked up. Like the first step isn't to go in and change the video mode from 720p to something uh, something right. higher res. But there's still a lot of um, a lot of times you people just have to fall back to the INI file. Um, it, you know, and there is absolutely things that should be that should stay there. Like I, I had this whole conversation with Mike Chi about adding different modes to the retro tank five X and, Oh, do I add this? Is this just going to confuse people? Bury it, make it hard to find in the menu. Power users will, will, you know, will refer to your website and people who shouldn't be messing with it won't find it. So it's perfect. You know, I say shouldn't be messing with it with respect. Anybody could mess with it once they get a, a feel for things. But like, if you're a beginner and you just want to set your resolution, you shouldn't be cluttered with all of that extra stuff. So Mike hit it. It ended up perfect. And, mm -hmm. and it's a situation like this with INI files. That's the best scenario because if you could figure out how to do that, then you know, you're probably already could figure out what you're doing or learn how to just you know, copy, paste, and back up your INI files. So if you screw something up, you know, there you go. You're right back where you started. So Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I know we're always in trouble on Discord when, you know, someone asks for help and you ask them to share their INI and they send you a photograph of their computer screen with the INI on and you're like, oh, this is going to be, 
it's yeah. gonna be a long afternoon <laughs> yeah is, is the status screen still the same because that was one of the things that i, I have not had a chance to test vsync because this monitor does g-sync and vsync and that's a new feature that i was pretty excited about i haven't had a chance to look into it yet but how would you know that vsync is on uh in mister once you've booted a core you don't really like it's um you know you can rely on the monitor to tell you like whether it's in vr mode or not um but things like those vsync settings which are you know in some ways kind of fundamental to the appeal of mister like yeah thank you i'm at variable refresh rate yeah. sorry i was uh appreciate the correction um like yeah like just finding some of that stuff is is um does require you to go into those INIs and like people want their they have their nice LG, they want their VRO mode, they want to have all these settings enabled. Um and like the INI is where they have to go right now for that. Um and you know it there's a lot of reasons why that's the case. Like, you know, you, mm. you can look at um like the the Mr. UI is is simplistic and it's simplistic for very good reasons. Uh, again, like a more complicated UI eats into resources that the cores uh, need for other things. Um, you know, navigating complex UIs with controllers and on, like it, it has to work on a, a CRT screen. Like there's, there's a bunch of reasons for why you don't necessarily want all of this, these options in the, like in the, uh, the UI. Um, but there is kind of existing tools like there's like the INI editor script, um, which is also not that great. Um, would be good if, like I know some people are working on some updates to that and some alternative tools just kind of make getting in there and making these common changes uh, a lot easier to do and avoid people having to fall back to a text editor, which I think would be uh, a great a great place to be in. Yeah, and I think um, I think the simplicity and the beauty of a good GUI is always underrated because it's one of those things where if you get it, if you nail it, it's thankless. Because it's just, it's perfect. So no one even thinks to say, hey, this is great. If you go like, uh, the, the only thing I like about the Polymega is I thought that one was really good. Um, I, liked, I liked the product a heck of a lot more when it was half the price and when it was supposedly shipping. <laughs> but but uh, that, that went above and beyond. Um, but I still don't think you need that. I just, something that flows really nicely, but it's still really, really hard to accomplish. And I could understand why people don't want to have to deal with that because then getting into organization, it's just it's like structuring out a website, right? It's very, almost the same thing in that how do you decide what's the easiest flow and everybody's got a different opinion. So it's it's really hard to get it right. So certainly it's not something I would have expected right off, uh, right out the gates, but hopefully people are working on it and have some good ideas. Yeah, for sure. So um, after working on the video mode stuff, you started working on your own cores, right? I did. Um, I I didn't think it was something I would ever do. Um, it's very intimidating, um, in my opinion, to, to start off with this idea of like you know implementing a core. Um, and there's like you know there's already so many great cores out there. Um, hmm that it's easy to look and kind of feel like it's almost all done. Like, you know, there's very few kind of like, um, like systems I would have experience with that I would be kind of qualified to, to build a core of. Um, but, you know, the, I can't remember who, someone suggested like, you know, like the, the IRM, uh, like M72, like specifically like R-Type as something that doesn't exist and something that would be possible to do. 
Um, there's there were like schematics available for it online, which was like a big, a huge help, honestly. Um, and you know, most importantly, is um, uh, a guy named uh, Electron Ash had done some like legwork on just getting um, basically just getting like the CPU running um, in Verilator, which is kind of like a simulator um, framework, uh, and just getting to the point where it, at, at least you could like look at video memory and see that it was drawing um, like the ROM okay, RAM okay uh, screen. Um, so you had a bunch of code there. And I was like, okay, well, you know, like personal projects, it's often, you know, like it's extremely difficult to kind of just sit yourself down and stare at a blank document or a sheet of paper or empty like 3D modeling tool or whatever and be like, okay, I'm going to start doing this thing now and commit to, you know, weeks and months of getting this thing done. Um, so like having someone who'd already kind of done a little bit of legwork and like you, you weren't just spending, um, you know, weeks and months just staring at a black screen um, kind of helped give me the motivation to um, to start looking at it in more detail. Um, so I think without Ash, like none of this would actually exist in the first place, at least from me. Mm. Um, and yeah, it just kind of like it, it's once you kind of get going on it, it just kind of snowballs um, where it's like, you know, as long as each day you kind of can sit down and get a little bit further and make a little bit more progress, it doesn't seem like as daunting uh, a task. Um, and I, when did I start this? I think I started this in probably about three months ago. Um, and it seemed basically impossible when I started. Um, and I just kind of, you know, I, I never assumed that I would actually get the core to a point where it would be released. Um, I assumed I would, you know, how so many personal projects go, I would get to a point where it was I could convince myself that if I dedicated myself to finishing this, I would finish it, but I'll never finish it. It'll just be like, there I go. It, it kind of works. Look, you can see you can see uh, sprites moving around. You can see backgrounds. I'm not going to spend uh, any more time on it. But I did I did uh, spend time on it. It is released. Uh, it's running all of the um, M72 games and some of the M84 games. Um, and people are really uh, happy with it, which uh, like is easily the most re- it's easily the most rewarding personal project i've done probably maybe in my lifetime i would say um, oh that's awesome to hear i mean that that's a pretty monumental task three months getting that stuff out and then getting all the games working on it so that is uh that is pretty awesome it was it was borderline obsessive like you know <laughs> like i i don't know even know if it was if it was healthy because it was just um you know i would wake up in the morning and stare at schematics, stare at source code, look at like signal tap output. Uh, it would be the, the first thing I think of in the morning and the last thing I think about at night. Um, I, you know, I think my dev setup is kind of cursed because I do a lot of development on my laptop, just kind of remoting into my the PC in my office, which means even when I was on a trip in New York, I was still staring at schematics and making code changes. And the way... Um, you know, the build times can be super slow on this FPGA stuff. So it's like you make a change and then you got to wait 20 minutes before you can actually test it. Um, so it's super easy to just be like doing chores on a Saturday and going, maybe if I change this one thing, everything will appear or sound will start working or sound will sound better. Uh, so you sit down for five minutes, make a change, start building, go off, you know, finish doing the dishes or something and then come back and test it again. So it's like just this, it was just constantly there in my life for like three months, just something that i was just doing over and over again 
Um, so I think my entire family is a little bit relieved that it's it's done and out there now. That's funny. I think many of us get like that. And I'm so lucky to have patient friends because uh, I drag everybody with me when I go through that. So it's, uh, you know, I was doing a, a big project on 4K60 lossless capture, which apparently no one else has really tackled, at least publicly talking about it. And just all day, every day. It's probably seven or eight different people. I got companies involved. You know, like it was a thing, and not one person told me to fuck off. But I was just like, <laughs> I love every one of you. You're all awesome. Ash is actually a good friend of mine. He's usually one of the people I incessantly bother with things like that too. So it's uh, I, I understand where you're coming from, and I'm, I'm I, I try to never take for granted the fact that I'm lucky enough to have cool friends that uh, that put up with that shit. Yeah, <laughs> like like you know, I think Ash is great. I think you know he he will admit to being like a chronic project starter and not finisher. So like, mm -hmm. um, but I, I, like what he did was invaluable to me. So I'm really grateful for, for the time he put into just starting this thing off. Very cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, in digging in and doing this kind of for the first time, were there things that surprised you about creating the core? Were there things that were just like, Oh wow, I never saw that coming or, or things that were interesting that would stand out. Uh, I think, you know, it's amazing how much stuff has been preserved. Um, like, you know, being able to find these, like like the actual schematics for R-Type, like being able to just have that entire machine documented, um, mm. that was huge. Uh, being able to, like, look at, like, you know, having MAME there to, like, see what it's doing, like, also uh, super valuable. Um and one one thing I found super interesting is like in the main like ROM dumps, like there's ROMs in there, there's dumps of chips in there that aren't used by main, um, but, pe but people just dump them and put them in the archives. Uh, like an example of that is like all of the video timing uh, on these boards is uh, like done by uh, a special chip and two kind of like uh, programmable ROMs that just kind of like record when and when and where like the V-Sync and the V-Blank and all those things should start and stop. MAME doesn't use any of that information, but it's in some of the dumps for these M72 games. So I was just able to look at those, like get those actual ROM images, even though nothing was using them and use them in, in my core to to get like the precise video timing. Um, there, and then like on the kind of flip side of that is like, there's a lot of just kind of like, like dead links and like sites that have disappeared. And like, you can find like forum threads where someone's talking about some obscure aspect of this piece of hardware, but like, you can't find where the image they took is or the, the photo they took or the diagram they drew. And it's just like a lot of kind of just trying to like chase down these uh, like cold cases of people doing repairs and other things uh, to try to understand uh, how a particular piece of hardware worked. Um, like midway through this, I was trying to like work out how a particular chip worked and uh, Furtech like decapped it and uh, released a schematic for it. So I was like, okay, this is perfect. Like this... <laughs> Oh. <laughs> this is uh, like perfect timing, like the 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 one of the main chips that does the uh, the video timing stuff. Um, so just like having this kind of like source of like this, you know, there's information out there, and trying to to dig it up and find it can be uh, sometimes surprisingly easy and and surprisingly difficult at the same time. Hmm. Um, that and, makes perfect sense. Yeah, and then you know, I didn't really know how like arcade hardware works. Like I haven't thought too much about how they actually built things like sprite systems and tile maps um and seeing it like laid out in like schematics was just kind of like oh this is actually like 
a like a lot simpler than i thought it would be and you know also like amazing what they were able to do with these things like like the i'm constantly blown away with the games on this board like you know i was familiar with r-type i had played dragon breed on home systems um but then like just looking at like you know um uh, like ninja spirit like you know the fact that it's not just shooters it's like platformers and vertical and horizontal shooters and all of the weird kind of like organic movement and like x multiply and all this kind of stuff it's just like they did so much with what is just a handful of chips um on this board and in a lot of cases they're not like custom chips like the majority of this board is built of just kind of standard logic and standard ram and standard rom and there's a, a handful of custom chips that they built to do very specific things um, what are, what's an example of one of the custom chips? Like, you know, what is it? And what what would it do? Um, they have a custom chip for the um, uh, for their kind of like their palette system uses a custom chip, but that's been largely decoded. Uh, there's a custom chip that just generates the timing for the video signals. That's the one that Vertec decapped recently. Um, and then there is um, there's another custom chip that does the. It's just it's really just kind of an amalgamation of standard chips. It's funny because on the board, it's um, it does like it's it's like a shift register for like kind of picking out uh, the the bits of the colors as it's drawing the tile map. Um, and I don't know if they used it on some earlier hardware because it only does kind of like three bits, and then there's another just standard piece of IC logic next to it that does the other bit. Um, so they, they built a chip with three inside them and then stuck another one next to it on the board to do the final bit. Um, so like it, that stuff just kind of leaves me scratching my head, not in like a, a good or bad way, just like I'd love to know. It's a shame the development of these boards isn't more documented somewhere, like why these decisions were made, why they picked off the shelf hardware to do X, Y and Z, but built a custom chip to do this one thing. Um, I would love if that was all written down somewhere for us all to just kind of look at and, and understand. Yeah. I bet you that there's a story behind that, whether it's as simple as it was cheaper to do it this way, or they did all the development for this one right, right at the end of the line, they were like, we need another bit. So, you know, it's, well, how do we get it? So I, I'd love those stories and they're always worth listening to. Yeah. 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 You know, I'd love to, I would love to try to get one of the original developers of these boards and a person like yourself who's done the FPGA code together on a podcast and then just, you know, talk, have at it. You know, where did this stuff come from? Here's where it's at now and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just worried that this is just lost to history at this point. Like we'll never, you know, I think with like the console systems, we kind of, you know, there's at least people, you know, they're, they're large systems that a lot of people worked on and people documented their progress and they were used for, for years and years. But these boards often just existed for, a handful of years and then they moved on to the next piece of hardware um yeah so we'll just have yeah to i mean on. that's uh, a lot of people use that that p word preservation you know they use that as a buzzword but you know that's really what the main project it, the main project is basically preservation with the very cool bonus of being able to play them as well but i don't think uh, it's uh, it's very easy for people to not understand why it's important to get this stuff together but once you're in it and you're a nerd and you're doing modern day nerd things for your job and you run into a situation like this what if there was a story on why they used those two chips that completely applied to what you're doing even though it's could be totally software related it's oh that's right to save money i could just supplement this with that and 
you know, sometimes looking behind is, is kind of the best way to look forward, which is cheesy as fuck to say, but it is uh, it's very accurate. I have, you know, in all honesty, like the main kind of preservation thing, I always kind of thought it was like, like bullshit. Like I just, MAME to me was just a thing you use to play arcade games. Like it's, mm-hmm. I've, you know, it's been around for, I don't know how many years. I've always just, you know, it's just what you, what you use to play arcade games on. Um, and then like experiencing it from the actual perspective of someone who wants it to be a preservation aspect and using it for that purpose. Like it really, um, you know, it's, it's never going to be like a hundred percent accurate. And that's just because it's, it's being crowdsourced by people trying to do their best and trying to get games running on it. Um, but like having it was just a massive, massive, uh, resource for me. And like, I, I have a new appreciation for when people say preservation, it doesn't just mean downloading a ROM collection from archive.org. There's actually more to it, more to it than that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes it does, but there's a lot more to it than that. (laughs) So yeah, a hundred percent. Um, so after digging into all of this stuff, are there, is there a project that you have your eye on or are you just kind of still just in the trenches helping out and trying to tweak things here and there? There's, there's a few things I'm looking at. Um, like obviously the next kind of like evolution on the Iron Arcade hardware is like the M92 boards, um, which have a lot of games on them. Um, it has some similarities to the M72. I think it still uses some of the same chips. Uh, I did like you know, make a new project last night with just renaming everything that mentioned M72 to M92. So that's like maybe 50% of the work done at this point. Um, hmm. <laughs> um, and it, it's it's kind of interesting to look at that hardware from a perspective. Like, cause, you know, I know they're going to be reusing some of the same ideas and same techniques, even if they're using different like chips and different kind of like ways things function. Um, so like it's it's already like I can look at it and see all the things that are similar. Um, but I think it's still a long road if I do keep keep pushing on that to actually get some games running uh, on that hardware, especially the sound side of things is um, is a lot more complex um, and would require a lot of work. So I think maybe I'll have some things moving around on screen in, in a short amount of time, but whether I get, get to the sound is going to be uh, another question. Um, and then the things on like just Mr. Itself that I'm, I'm looking at too, like I want to, um, there's been a lot of like, the kind of RetroTINK and PixelFX HDR stuff. Um, I've been kind of like experimenting mm. with if that is that possible to do natively in in Mister, and it kind of brings up some questions on like basic video adjustments inside of Mister and how that could work. Um, kind of on our you know discussion on like INI files, like one issue we have with INI files right now is um, it's really easy for people to mess them up, and there's no feedback on when they've they've screwed them up, like like. A, a large amount of like the weekly problems we deal with on the, the discord is just someone you know fat fingered or mistyped or thought a value was in range when it was out of range in the ini and it just the only feedback is hey the video doesn't look right um so i'm working right now and adding some like 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 actual like on-screen errors when you have like messed up ini settings in in mr um, that's helpful yeah because because the only alternative is like oh well ssh in and kill the mr process and then run it and you'll get tty output that will tell you that the you know where these where these fields are and that's you know obviously a complex process for for a lot of people um you know i want to optimize the adaptive scan, scan line stuff a little bit more it's um it does impact like the building of, of the more complex cores um so getting that uh 
a little better behaved would be nice. Um, and like, you know, I don't know. It, it's not my project. Like, I don't, I don't control the direction of Mister. But like those things we talked about with like better usability. Like, I'm always looking for options to to improve on that. Like, I, I I would like the first time user experience to be better. I would like the most common things that people want to do to be easier for them to do. Whether that's part of Mister itself or some like utility that um, lives alongside it, I don't I don't know. But it's something I'm always interested in. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, uh, you know, I'm obviously such a massive fan of the project, but it's it's kind of always been my job for every job I've had, basically, that like I look at what is here, but I also have to look at what could go wrong and where it could go elsewhere. And I think, unfortunately, some people get very frustrated with me because they interpret that as like, oh, so, you know, the three months I just spent on our type isn't good enough. Now you want this, too. And it's I never mean it that way. I just you know, doing product development and especially always having to be customer facing or or whatever else I was doing. It's just, I always have to look at the bigger picture of things. So I I just, I, I'm such a massive fan of the project, but I'm extra critical of some aspects just because of how much I love it and how I know that with a lot of work, it could, it could evolve into something even better. But I, I think everybody's done an amazing job contributing. I think a lot of those things, a lot of those decisions of slow to interpret or uh, integrate something that could affect the entire project was the right move. So it's, you know, nothing but love for everybody. Uh, but I, I do also see how cool, how much cooler it could eventually be with the little things that don't matter to some people. Cause yeah, like, like I'm, I'm always cognizant of like, you know, I'm it's again, like it's not my project. Like I can walk away from this at any point, like, you know, maybe, you know, things in my work or things in my life take a turn and I have to go focus on other things for a while. So like, it's, it's easy to be like, Hey, like I've got this cool idea. Why isn't it implemented or why doesn't someone take my change? It's like, well, I might just disappear. And then someone else is left holding the bag and has to support this new feature for the rest of rest of the project's lifetime. Uh, so I think like caution and, you know, kind of like pushing back against like pet projects and people's desire for, oh, all I want is this one thing. And it's like, well, you're, you're one of a thousand people who want just one thing. Um, it's, it's a really difficult balance. And I don't, I don't ever want to be in a situation where I'm maintaining a project as large as Mr. Like it's, it's not something that would appeal to me. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. But the other side of things too, is there's plenty of things that, you know, there's no reason for them ever be, to be rolled into the main system yeah. but you could just manually download the core and add it yourself and mess around with it we were messing with uh, 3d classic support for master system geez two years ago now and it was it was working perfect and there was a couple other fun little things that were added to that that it's you know they could add 3d to stuff that didn't have it and it looked equally as terrible as it did on the original <laughs> master system uh, but they did some games. They did a beautiful job on uh, Maze Hunter or Maze Walker, for the Japanese version. Missile Defense. I mean, 3D 8-bit missiles. Come on, that's awesome. So it, it was cool. But I don't know. I don't know if that's something that would ever be worth supporting for everybody because you would need to have not only a CRT, but you would also have to have some kind of 3D glasses module plugged into it, probably via the Snack port or something. So it's it's just I would love to see that. But I don't really know if that's worth Sorg's yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> like, like if 3D TVs were still as popular as they were like seven, eight years ago, then like I think that would be kind of an easy sell. But now it's kind of, um, I think I have a 3D TV somewhere, but God knows where the actual glasses have gone. Um, 
Yeah, I got. I just bought. Um, Steve from RetroTech gave me this tip. Uh, Lowe's, the, the you know, like Home Depot, Lowe's has these cardboard boxes that are meant to ship pictures or TVs in moving boxes, not shipping boxes. So I got a couple of those to put some of my flat panels in, so I could stick them in a closet without worrying about them getting covered in spiders. But one of them is a 3D plasma, and my projector here is 3D as well. And it just with the right content, it's awesome. With the wrong content, it's useless and it'll give you a headache. But, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like Virtual Boy, right? The good Virtual Boy games, especially the new homebrew, are amazing. And, you know, the crappy ones are crappy. But it kind of, you know, gave it a... I think 3D TVs got a bad rap because of how many, you know, $200 TVs slapped a 3D module in it, gave you some glasses and said, hey, now you can watch Avatar. And, you know, it looked terrible. Yeah. So. I, I had some great 3D TV experiences, but like I, I can understand why they're gathering dust right now and, and no one's really pushing them. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, well, I mean, thank you for taking the time to do this. This was awesome. I enjoyed having this chat. Thank you for, uh, for this was delayed once because I wasn't feeling well and I was all pissed off because the concert didn't go through. So uh, I'm really happy we waited because I'm in a great mood. I was able to give you my full attention and not be, you know, not be humming Auslander in the back of my head. Like, why didn't I get to see it live? So, yeah, it's uh thank you for, for rescheduling this. Of course, this has been great. And I, you know, I appreciate everything you do um, for this community. Like I'm, I'm a relatively new member um, to this world. Um, and, you know, I feel like I've been listening to you and watching you for the last few years. And it's just like, I, I just, I appreciate you a lot. Thank you very much. It means a lot. Thank you. All right. Well, I will leave links to where to find uh, all of your work, although all you have to do is just update your mister in order to get our type in there. And uh, we'll leave links to you. And I will obviously and, and Lou as well. We'll keep everybody updated on whatever progress you make for the next stuff. Great.